0: But I didn't see a lot of images of nurses of color, period, from any, any culture other than just Florence Nightingale. And I have to say that throughout my nursing education, from undergrad all the way up to my PhD, I've only had one Black faculty, and I've had a few in clinical. But I, when I look back, and I realized that had an impact on me as well, because I didn't see myself teaching. I didn't see myself in clinical. It was almost like I was invisible. And it does make you question yourself, am I supposed to be here? Because it's very isolating. And when you don't have anyone who knows the experience that you're going through, you feel like you question yourself. It does impact your confidence.
1: Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Rosa DiDonato. And I'm Marian Leary. And you're listening to Amplify Nursing, a Penn Nursing podcast supported by the Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing.
2: Amplify Nursing features nurses
1: who are leading the way in science, policy, and innovation. Our guests defy stereotypes, define practice, and disrupt convention. We highlight the breadth and depth of
2: nursing influence on society by amplifying nurses who are pushing boundaries and breaking down barriers to build a new paradigm.
1: Today on Amplify Nursing, we talk with Dr. Lucinda Canty. Dr. Canty is an assistant professor at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst College of Nursing, where she also serves as the director of the SeedWorks Health Equity Program. As a nurse educator, researcher, historian, and reproductive health justice activist, Dr. Canty is deeply committed to improving the maternal health of women of color. Dr. Canty talks with us about the prevalence of racism in nursing, the importance of initiating change in nursing education policy, and how she uses art and poetry to express her passions.
2: All right, well, Dr. Canty, welcome to the Amplify Nursing Podcast. We're really excited to talk with you today.
1: Thank you for having
2: me. To start, um, could you tell us a little bit about your background and really how you got into nursing um, and how that led you to the work you're doing today?
0: Okay. So um, I'm from Connecticut, kind of pretty much born and raised here. and I realized nursing was something that I wanted to do, probably when I was like in 10th grade. I just love seeing um, people be cared for, had family members that had diabetes and would see my mom help give them their you know their insulin. and you know, and I was like, I can do that. And so that really started my kind of journey towards nursing. So I started out because I was so afraid to leave home. So I started out at a small um, junior college here in Connecticut, Hartford College for Women. And then my what was to be my junior year, I transferred to Columbia University. And for me, being in Connecticut, New York City opened up a whole new world for me. And that is where I started to learn more about um, pregnancy, childbirth. And actually, I saw a delivery in a hallway during one of my clinical rotations and it, the, the person who delivered the baby was a midwife. So I said, that's what I want to do. So um, I didn't know how I was gonna get there yet. At that time, they wanted you to have experience in labor and delivery. I It was difficult to get a position in that area. So I ended up working in med surge and later became more involved with women's health and decided to go back to school. And I went to um, Yale University for my um, midwifery degree. And again, it just opened up a whole new world for me, seeing like what I could do in my community. I always said I would go back and I did go back to Connecticut and provide care. I worked predominantly in diverse communities. And I realized that, you know, I just felt like I was home, like this is what I was meant to do. And during that time though, I have to say that I was really unprepared in how racism shows up. And that has always been a part of my nursing experience. I didn't know how to name it at first. You know, interpersonal racism we could name, but I really didn't know what structural racism was until years later. Cause I, di- I just didn't know how to name it, but I knew it impacted me. It impacted the patients that I care for And it wasn't until I started looking into maternal mortality that I realized how it shows up in our healthcare. And that changed my focus where I was really about, and I still am about providing quality care, you know, working in reproductive health. It's such a vulnerable, I think healthcare itself, any area people are vulnerable, but there's just something about sexual reproductive health where people will be going through something and they won't tell you if they don't feel safe. And once when I started providing care, I said I will always make sure that anyone who's in my care does not leave feeling traumatized. That was one thing I was like, that is not going to happen on my watch. But as I start to learn more about racial disparities and maternal health, you know, infant health, I realized that I had to have a different approach. Because I realized to address racism, you really have to be intentional. So that's kind of like a quick overall story of how I got to where I'm at.
2: Yeah, and I I wanna definitely delve deeper into a lot of that, but I'd like to step back slightly. You know, I just recently uh, interviewed another nurse for this podcast who runs an organization, a nonprofit organization that is trying to expose kids in high school and in elementary school to nurses of color. And um, she's really trying to show that there are more people in more diversity in nursing than what we see right now and trying to give these students the opportunity to understand what the field of nursing is like. I love that you knew from an early age that you wanted to be a nurse and it sounds like nursing really was a good fit for you. You know, Why is it important for um, all types of students to see themselves reflected in this profession?
0: Yes, um, I, and I, I love that that, that nurse is doing that because I think it's so important that exposure. And I realized for myself I didn't see any nurses of color. I always tell people that I fell into nursing, um, like things just happened, like opportunities popped up that I wasn't even looking for. Sometimes I even wonder how I got here because I didn't see any um, nurses of color. I've heard of some that were like nurses aides and I love that work too. And that's where I actually got my start, but I didn't see a lot of images of nurses of color period from any, any culture other than just Florence Nightingale. And I have to say that throughout my nursing education from undergrad all the way up to my PhD, I've only had one black faculty who ended up being my advisor, nursing faculty, who ended up was my advisor and is still a mentor of mine. I And you know, we're like friends, we're like family. And I've had a few in clinical that I have seen, but, I, when I look back and I realized that had an impact on me as well, because I didn't see myself teaching, I didn't see myself in clinical. It was almost like I was invisible. And it does make you question yourself Am I supposed to be here? Because it's very isolating. And when you don't have anyone who knows the experience that you're going through, you feel like you question yourself. It does impact your confidence. So, and I realized that we are here, you know, I see nursing faculty of color, I see um, nursing scholars, I see all levels from undergrad to PhDs and DMPs. And I didn't see that when I was coming up. And I always wonder who would I have been if I had that mentoring, if I had that support? Cause I love nursing, I love midwifery, but there's been a lot of pain, a lot of, a lot of pain a lot of, I will say more positive experiences, which is why I think I'm still here, but a lot of unnecessary painful experiences as well.
2: Yeah. And, you know, you talk about the impact it's had on you and and the impact it's probably had on numerous other uh, student nurses of color and, you know, where they could potentially be today had they seen themselves represented in their faculty and other clinicians at the bedside. But, can you talk a little bit about also what that must mean for patients to not see themselves represented in the people who are taking care of them?
0: Yes. And and that is the other part of it. You know, we I, I talk about my experience, but I also look at patients when they tell me that they don't feel safe or I'm seeing a patient and they're telling me something and I'm I'm you know I'm um, finding out more about what they're telling me or I know the right questions to ask and they'll say no one has ever asked me that before and and I I realized that it's because when there is a shared experience whether however anyone identifies you know if they're racialized I feel like when someone knows that experience the care is different and for patients I have heard you know, when I walk into the room, I have I get blank stares sometimes because patients are shocked. I had a young lady who was on the phone. Um, I still provide care at Planned Parenthood. And she was talking to her, her mom and she was like, mom, I got to go. I have a black nurse. You know, she was a young black lady. She was like, I have a black nurse. I got to hang up. And we had such a rich conversation where not only did I find out about her health care needs, she also had a desire to go into nursing. She was actually getting a degree in another area. And I told her about accelerated nursing programs. So it was just like a well-rounded visit. But the patient left saying, you know, I feel so good about coming into that. And I was scared. So I think that when we enter, any of us, when we enter the healthcare system, there's you're vulnerable. You don't know who you're going to get on that other end. And when you have someone that understands you, that listens to you, that is non-judgmental it really impacts the quality of care. So it's important on both sides. And that's part of the issues that we see right now, even just looking at Black maternal health, how people feel like they're not even seen. And there's so many stereotypes and beliefs about people of color that it often shows up in care if it's not addressed. So it's just so important that we have spaces where people can come in and feel safe. And I'm not saying that someone of a different race and you know cannot offer that, but it's just because I think as people of color, as a lot of us who have several identities and how we exist, it's like we live into, we live in the white world, we know how to navigate that, and then we live in the worlds that we come from. And when we combine those and the care that we provide, people do well. But I think anyone can do it as long as they're aware of their limitations and they educate themselves.
2: Yeah, so that, yeah, that's obviously a great point. How do you see the profession of nursing moving towards a more equitable space for not only patients but really like the training and education of nursing students in terms of making it a more representative workforce? like how do we get nurse the nursing profession to do that cuz obviously right now the vast majority of nurses are white women of a certain age you mm-hmm. know how do yeah you know, outside of the work that you know this one nurse is doing with her nonprofit how as a profession do we encourage more representation in nursing
0: we have to do better we have to do better for for me like i'm in nursing academia and I recently started, I was I was at University of St. Joseph in West Hartford, and now I'm at UMass um, Amherst. And entering academia was an unintended road for me. I was, you know, I was a clinical person. I was I'll, That's the only way that I saw myself when I had nurse educators, nursing instructors come on the units. I didn't like how they talked to students. And I was like, I'm never doing that because I don't want to become one of them. And I found myself in a kind of a toxic environment and wanted to change. And University of St. Joseph was looking for a maternal health um, preceptor, so just to cover their labor and delivery, their maternity clinical. So I was like, this is a perfect opportunity, I can do that. And I loved it. I loved working with the students. I love seeing them afraid in the beginning of the semester and then they have their confidence at the end. I love hearing them say that they had a good experience And so now it's like 15 years later, I'm still in nursing academia. But I have to tell you, I felt I had a little culture shock because of the way that, uh, how can I just say this? It was a culture shock because I didn't realize how much, uh, I'm just trying to use the right word, because I'll just describe it. I felt that As nursing educators, I would go into an environment where there was a lot of compassion, a lot of caring, a lot of support for students. And I came into an environment that I felt was just as toxic as some of the environments that I worked in as a nurse. So that was a shock to me, hearing how people talked about students, seeing how students of color were treated, especially even male students, male students of any color, seeing how they were treated. was a shock to me. I had to mentally adjust and decide, am I going to stay here or am I going to move on? And I decided to stay because I realized that things have to change. But for nursing to get where it needs to be to provide care that we really, to be the profession we want to be, we have to let go of a lot of the old white supremacist views that are embedded deep into our educational system and embedded deep in our curriculum. I'm talking about a textbook that says that Black and Hispanic women exaggerate their pain, that there are certain communities, how people identify as far as gender, you know, however they identify that is absent in the textbooks because that's harmful in itself. Because if you're not in the textbooks and we're teaching this, then to the student, you don't exist. So when they come in contact with you, they don't know how to to interact with you. They don't know how to ask the right questions. They don't even know how to use the right pronouns or even how to ask that question because they're not getting it. And that's why I feel like nursing education to me right now is the root of all evil if we don't change what we're doing. And I know it's harsh to say, but I've been deep in it. I've seen policies that exclude, that try to weed out people who could be wonderful nurses. I've seen students who are strong students. They're strong at writing. They're strong at reading. They can can critically think, but it's still not good enough for that one professor. So she creates exams based on language that she knows is gonna exclude a large majority of the population. I've seen classes of 101 students start and 33 students graduate. And I if on the outside if someone told me that and I didn't see that with my own eyes I wouldn't believe it. But I've seen that happen. And you know and it is very scary and people are like oh things are never going to change but things can change especially if we see these things and we speak up. And that's what I had to do. And I I just want to sh- I want to share this story very quickly because this was a changing point for me because I'm like, I can't be a part of the system that's weeding out people who look like me. I'm like, that's not happening. And there was a policy, I was in the meeting. And so I voted on this policy where we changed the grade requirement. I can't remember the details of it. And at the end of that semester, 10 students didn't make it. All the students were black and brown. And at that moment, I was like, you can't blame anyone else. You voted on that policy. For me, it was, I also realized the power that we have, but I also realized I didn't educate myself properly on the policy. So I'm like, you're, you're Black, you have to do something. And I was scared to death, but I found someone that I can go to and say, look, this is what happened. And I found someone who I found to be an ally who said, you know, this is wrong. And that person, these students were going to either be kicked out of the program or they were going to have to repeat another year. And one of the students would have lost her scholarship. So, the person I went to for help said, You know, I'm not allowing this, and allowed all the students to pass, like, gave them, like, a, uh, granted their appeal and allowed them to progress in the program. And I want to tell you, the cutoff was like 80. These students had 79 and 78, and people wanted them out of the program because they're protecting nursing. That was their excuse. But this person allowed them to progress. All the students excelled after, because this one gatekeeping class, all the students excelled after that. They all graduated, they passed their boards, the NCLEX on the first time. They all have nice positions in nursing, like to this day, they're still practicing. But for me, it showed me, one, that when you see something, you have to speak up. When you're silent, then that means you're complacent and you're okay. And even though it was scary and I was like, I was at a point where I couldn't live with myself. There was no way I could live with myself if I allowed those students to just go into the world and not say anything. But for me, it's also said that we can change, that nursing can change. And a big part of that is we have to let go of these standards that were created when Florence Nightingale was practicing. Because we're still, people just keep saying, oh, that's the way we've always done it. Or that's the policy, you know, and and like the policies can't change, but there's, there are nurses who want, nursing educators who want to move forward. And there are some that are just so rooted in their own, I I want to say misconceptions, because what they feel should be a nurse is not someone who can survive right now in our world. Is not someone that I would trust to take care of a black woman who's giving birth right now. So I feel like we have to, if we're going to change, we have to let go of those old beliefs. A friend of mine said, you know, the way they want to weed out students, let's start weeding them out. And let's let the new generation get those curriculums that are anti-racist, that are really inclusive, that are diverse. Let's change all of those things. And let's just keep moving forward. Because I feel like sometimes we're stuck. I feel like we move forward two steps and then we move back. I feel like I need $10 from nursing, they give me $5. So I think that we have to just keep moving forward and I'll take any change. Even if it's small increments, I'll take it. Cause I feel like we can't go back to when I was a nursing student.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree with you. Yeah, there are a lot of educators and academics and clinicians who um, listen to this podcast. What would you say to them? Like the one thing that they need start doing to help move the profession in forward in that way?
0: I would say for everyone to do a self-reflection. Regardless of who you are, how long you have been an educator, do self-reflection. Think about how you interacted with students who did not look like you or come from the communities that you came from. Think about those students who had challenges. Think about why they may have had those challenges. Because I do agree, you know, nursing isn't for everyone, but I feel like the person, the student needs to be the one to say when they're ready to give up. And because I think that they know, but when they're working hard, give them the opportunity and get out of their way. I think that we're our biggest barrier. So I would just say to nursing educators, if you think that everything is good, that there's no problems where you're at, That's problematic. And you even need to reflect on why you feel that way. They may be good for you, but are they good for your colleagues, your colleagues of color, your students of color? So I just feel that we have to look at ourselves. And I just want people to be moved. You know, people always talk about, let's do an action item. I don't just want it to be an action item. I want it to be that you're doing something that you feel empowered to do that you're doing it because you know it's gonna make things better. It's not gonna cause harm. I want you to feel moved that you're doing this because you want everyone to have a good experience in their nursing program. You don't want them traumatized. You don't want them developing depression or anxiety just from being in a nursing program. So think about what you can do so that that doesn't happen. And when that student comes to you for help, don't be judgmental, let them talk and listen and see where you can help them if you can help them. If you can't, don't just say no and don't say, "Oh, are you sure you want to be a nurse?" Not everybody is a nurse. Those words shouldn't come out of any nursing educator's mouth. So, what I would say is if you can't help them, find someone that can. Say, "You know, there's a National Association of Hispanic Nurses. You know, they can provide you some mentoring. You know, oh, I know this colleague and I know that they help students with dimensional analysis." So let me refer you to them. If you can't do it, if you can't help them, whether you just don't want to, you don't care, or you don't have the skills, because as, as nurses, we have to be able to say, we don't have the skills to handle every single problem. Just refer them to someone who can. That's, that's all that I probably would ask, I would say to start there.
2: In addition to being a nurse, you are an artist and a poet. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about The work that you do and maybe how that's helped with the work that you do for uh, maternal health and with your in your educational role
0: oh yes um I love art and I love poetry and has always been a part of my life even when I was younger and I um in nursing though when I entered nursing school everything is science so it was like I would do it but I would do it privately or sometimes I didn't have time at all because of clinical, you know, other obligations. So sometimes I put it on the back burner. When I did my, I should say my research for my dissertation, I looked into the experience of Black women who suffered severe complications during childbirth. When I started to do that and they would tell me their stories, sometimes it was heavy. It was heavy after. And so I would write, I would reflect on what they talked to me about. I would also do, like poetry would come out of that. And also even just my art. And I use Van Manen's interpretive phenomenology and that allows artistic expression. So I said, you know, I'm gonna use art to represent the themes. And it was really, I would say my dissertation was my first time putting my art out in public because I was always very private about it. And I don't know if it was this insecurity or my confidence but I really felt strong about what the woman t- women told me. And I wanted to make sure I represented that. So I just started doing my art and it was just well-received from the women in my study, from women who listened to you know my presentations. And it was like art and poetry. It gives me a way to express myself that sometimes I can't articulate in words or I'll tell someone about an experience and sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. But when I have it written, when I have the um, or I'm speaking the words, you know, in my from my poetry, it's almost like people get it or they see it or it makes them what I love is when they said, you know, you made me think about what I went through, you know, or you make me, you give me hope. And so those are the um, ways that I still use my poetry. Um, and it's always going to from now on, my poetry and my art will always be a part of my research and a part of my presentations. Because I love the response that I get from people when they see it.
2: Yeah, I'm a big proponent of using art and creativity to express not only the work that we do and to help educate our patients and communities, but you know, as a profession, as an individual, to be able to share that out into the world. I think just adds so much. I mean, even more than you know, research and numbers can sometimes. So I love that you include that in all the work that you do. Yes, well, yes. Dr. Canty, this has been such an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your experiences, and, um, you know, advice for how we can make the profession of nursing more inclusive and just a better place
0: to be for everyone. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Hello, Marion.
2: Hello, Angela.
1: How's it going? It's amazing. How are you? I'm amazing as well. I just listened to your interview with Lucinda, and it was a really, really cool interview. She's so interesting.
2: Oh, my God. I so enjoyed talking with her and learning more about her background, her experience, and her art and activism. I am a firm believer in infusing... Art into health and science. And I love the way that she's using her poetry in the research work that she does.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. It makes things so much more interesting and even accessible to people who don't necessarily, maybe don't think in that really sciencey way, but it, it just makes it, it relates the science to the humanity. Yeah,
2: I totally agree. And I was just having this conversation with someone last night. If we trained nurses earlier in their education about other ways to communicate health information to patients, how impactful that could be. There are so many different ways to communicate these important topics to people. And what Lucinda is doing is a prime example of that. You know, people take in information in a variety of different ways. And we need to be able to use our expertise and knowledge and creativity to come up with different ways to communicate hard topics. And she's doing that with her work.
1: Yeah, agreed. And I think too, we really need to learn from people who come from underrepresented backgrounds in what works best in those populations. Because historically, we've not been able to connect because they're not being represented in the healthcare professions as much as they should be. So I think that by listening to somebody like Lucinda, who has that experience, who also is in healthcare, telling us like, this is a really important way to reach out to people. I, I think we have to listen to that.
2: Oh, 100% absolutely agree. So Angela, this is our last episode for season seven. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. Flew by. Flew by, but not to worry. We will be back with season eight in the fall of 2023. In the meantime, you should check out all of our past episodes on our website at www.nursing.upenn.edu slash amplify podcast or listen to us wherever
1: you do your podcast listening. Amplify Nursing is hosted by Dr. Angela Rosa DiDonato and Marian Leary and produced by the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing. With special thanks to Jonathan Zhu for his assistance. Music for the podcast was created by Harper Leary. The podcast is made possible by the Krista and Rich Panola Fund for Innovation in Nursing.
2: Follow us on Twitter at Penn Nursing. Until next time, keep pushing over, under, around, and through. We want to thank you for listening to the Amplify Nursing Podcast and remind you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you do your podcast listening. And if you can, please do us a solid and rate and review us as well. It will go a long way in amplifying our episodes.